Sequel Quest, Episode 77, a sequel chat movie review of Solo, a Star Wars story. Warning, Sequel Chat is a movie lover's podcast featuring discussions of the latest cinematic sequels in theaters now. These weekend of release reviews are spoiler-filled and highly flammable, so please use caution when listening. You have been warned. I don't know how you can make a Star Wars... Han Solo movie without me, Harrison Ford, as oh, that's Han Solo. <laughs> I'm also Batman. <laughs> Your voice is like sand. It's rough, coarse, and irritating, and it gets everywhere. <laughs> well, this weekend, based on the box office, you didn't see Solo. Oh. <laughs> so, this week, we're going to have a little discussion about Solo. A Star Wars story. Not to be confused with that Mario Van Peebles action movie solo. Totally different. <laughs> Way to go, Colton. Good pull. Starring Khaleesi from Game of Thrones. <laughs> Childish Gambino as Lando Calrissian. Cool, 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 cool. And knockoff Harrison Ford as Han Solo. This was directed by Opie. Oh no! The, it was it was I, I, the guys from the Lego Movie, right? Oh yeah, them first originally, and then Disney was like, "Oh no, this ain't happening." the The number one thing I heard was the complaint on set was it was like Ace Ventura in space. Totally the film. <laughs> we do have a special expert, a Star Wars expert, in fact. This is our buddy Garen. Hello, hello. Glad to have you back. We enjoyed you on our, hey, we tried to do our own Star Wars spinoffs. They didn't listen. There's still time. So when you think about it, though, it's really odd that, you know, this isn't the first time that Star Wars decided to make such a change, right? So if you bring in Lord and Miller, if you look at their past films, you know, the Lego movie was obviously just madcap mayhem. It's kind of like, you know, what did you expect? Too much comedy? I think that's all they know how to do. So it's very odd that Kathleen Kennedy, although I heard it was more Lawrence Kasdan with his sway and said, you know, you must, you must film my script as written. And that that was really the major issue is that they <laughs> do a lot of improvisation. He was not on board for impro- improving, improving yeah. his script. But wasn't that, isn't that every Star Wars movie? Like, it's pretty much down to the letter how it's written. Like, there's brief moments, and the actors can come back and say, hey, as this character, I don't think they'd say it this way, but how about this? Like, that happens on most sets where established actors will come in and they will speak as their character and make corrections or ask the writers to make changes. For example, in, in The Empire Strikes Back, I love you, I know, that was improvised, as I learned in the audio commentary. 
but another Lawrence Kasdan written project, which helped give him the clout for this one. Right. And maybe that's it. Harrison Ford could do no wrong. <laughs> These young pups, we're not letting them come in and change a thing. But let's let's talk a little bit about that, too, because then Rod Howard comes in. And uh, in the interview I saw with him, I thought it was very interesting because he said the reason he was willing to come on board with this and do a Star Wars film is that it was not a two-year commitment. He was like, they were only bringing me in for 10 months to fix it up. So that was fine by me, you know, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. Well, it was it was kind of a built-in excuse. Like if he, if he screwed it up, nobody would know what part he screwed up. Mm-hmm. So he'd always had a blame on Lord and Miller, so... Yeah, it seems like this is not going to be a, a Zack Snyder, you know, uh, situation where everybody's begging for the Lord Miller cut because they didn't really film enough, I guess. And, right. uh, nor is it going to be easy to tell because from what I understand, they pretty much redid everything. Uh, I don't think there's much left of what Lord Miller established aside from maybe a few jokes here or there that a little I'm a impressed little they the didn't push back the release date considering how much of a top to bottom upheaval it was. Right, because it was pretty much a from scratch rebuild. Um, because they they did find the way that Lord and Miller shoot things is very single camera. Like you've got a camera on an actor, and they'll go through all their improv and everything to get whatever line they want for that scene. But how Star Wars has always been filmed is multiple cameras to have multiple angles in order to stitch things together to make a scene work. And so when they got to the critical juncture and it wasn't working out, they didn't have enough that they could stitch together scenes without all these choppy cuts. They they were just like, hey, we, we need somebody else to come in and just reshoot exactly what we've got scripted and we'll we'll move on from there. Now, the only other Lucas-based project or evolved project that I'm aware of is Willow, right? So that's that's where Ron Howard is somewhat connected to Lucasfilm and that that side of things. But I don't think he he's really not done any other. Has he done sci-fi at all? Cocoon is all I can think of. Cocoon. Yeah, it has aliens in it. So yeah, yeah I guess that counts. It's very Earth-based, but with aliens. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so now this is the question I have then. You know, so Garrett, again, your love of Star Wars runs deep. It's well documented. <laughs> but when you first heard that they were making a solo film, a prequel to the life of Han Solo as we've known it so far, what were your thoughts? Well, there's always this you're always coming from this place where you're just saying to yourself, please don't screw it up. Please don't screw it up. Uh, and keeping your fingers crossed because I mean, that's, that's a risky venture. You, you try to get one of these kids in there and have him channel Harrison Ford and they do it badly. Well, there, there would be all the fanboys again saying that uh, their childhood had been ruined. Putting it mildly. Yeah. yeah. But this is the, the question I have too, is, you know, if you, if you go back far enough, if you're a real star Wars purist, you're like, well, real hot solo was a green slimy alien. So they really could do no wrong. This is an, you know, like, I, I just think it'd be hilarious if they did that. You know, like he started out covered in slime or something and all the diehards are like, what? You know, like that he cleans himself off and he's all handsome. You're like, oh, you got us. I'm assuming that doesn't happen in this film. It doesn't, but pretty uh. close. So the conceit for this episode is 
kind of interesting because the life and circumstances has prevented half of today's show from getting out and seeing it. Although I wasn't too excited to go out and see it. So we're going to be asking some questions. We're going to get the good, the bad, and the ugly from the two that have seen it. And we'll kind of just see where this episode takes us because (laughs) we're in uncharted territories. Yeah, just so you know, now we feel your pain. If you're complaining about spoilers, Jeremy and I are about to have this spoiled for us. So (laughs) let's talk about a little bit of the hype, too, for this movie. As far as promotion, the big thing I saw was Denny's did a very special menu. Uh, They they offered cups that had Millennium Falcons on the top, and they had themed burgers and pancakes and milkshakes. I stopped into Denny's twice during this lead-up to the film. I opted not to choose those meals. They just didn't quite have what I needed. The thing is, they had trading cards. That's usually my thing. I'm like, I'll take some trading cards. But they were, they were pretty expensive, and you only got a couple. And, so I was, and plus, I saw the Chewy card ahead of time, and I was like, oh, I'm uncomfortable the way he's looking at me. Because Chewy is too young <laughs> and too alluring in this film. He's just, he's a hunk. <laughs> and I don't know what to think about that. 190? You look great. <laughs> and how? A spry little wookie. But I mean, did the, did the teaser trailers hook you guys? Did the expanded trailers going in? Were you studying those frame by frame? Garrett, did, what, what was your initial reaction? I'd say the first one had me really nervous. There wasn't much to digest, but when we got to the second one and you got a little bit more, I thought, all right, this is going to be, this is going to be pretty cool. How about you, Colton? You're in the theaters a lot. Yes, I am. Uh, The trailers didn't do a whole lot for me. They gave me a little bit of foreboding in terms of how good Alden Ehrenreich was going to pull off the role. And I gotta say, that foreboding turned out to be correct in my case. Hmm. Okay, so here, yeah, and I I felt the same way too. It's kind of like, okay, I see the basic outline of a story. And obviously, like, just every little glimpse of Lando, you're like, okay, okay, those scenes will be cool, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no porgs here. All right, I think we're all right. I don't know, it felt not very innovative or exciting I, from what I was seeing like there there seemed to be a pretty basic story here although there was some mention of mystery and that was one of the things I wanted to find out when it's mentioned like I know who you really are and I don't know if that's a major plot point or not but you know it could have just been a, a garbage you know teaser moment but it, it was one of those things where I was like okay maybe there is something more to the backstory of Han Solo that I haven't conceived of or thought of at this point. So that that had me a little bit interested, plus the fact that my wife, this is the only movie she was interested in seeing in theaters. She's like, Infinity War? Not interested. You know, any other <laughs> film of the last six months? Nah, nah. Solo? I'll see that. Yeah. <laughs> Sucker for a pretty face, I guess. Uh, I'm speechless. She didn't want to see Infinity War? <laughs> Not interested. <laughs> Didn't even see Black Panther. She's missing out on all the cultural touchstones. Don't worry. Black Panther's already on DVD, Blu-ray, wherever you want it. Take her to counseling. No, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but let me see. I'm, I'm, maybe I can tell her we don't need to go see it. Let's start quizzing these guys, Jeremy. So what was your number one question going in, Jeremy? What was it you were hoping, based on the trailers, that they were going to reveal about Han Solo? Well, my biggest thing was... What's the point of this movie? 
<laughs> That's rather large question. It is, really. I mean, this could have probably been labeled just Lando and had a better movie. He's a more interesting character, and from what I've seen in the trailers, the portrayal is much more spot on, if not even better. Me and my friends were looking at each other the moment we heard Donald Glover's voice sounding just like Billy D. Williams. We were just like, whoa, he really pulled it off. He absolutely did. I just, we all just kind of shook our heads at Alden Ehrenreich because it was, it was almost like a bad cosplayer. I'm sorry, it just didn't do it for us. Well, okay, but at the same time, who else out there could have done Harrison Ford? Other than Harrison Ford. I thought maybe Taron Edgerton. I don't know. Even then, that still was a gamble. I was going to say, Carl Urban, 10 years ago, could have done a great young Han Solo, I feel like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, he still could have it. Yeah. (laughs) I've still got it. What about you, Garrett? Do you agree with that? Were Were you more on board with the Lando character than the Han Solo character as you watched the film? You know what I appreciated about Alden's performance was that he didn't he didn't try to he wasn't doing a Harrison Ford impersonation. He was trying to do Han Solo. Um, so he did have a lot of the mannerisms and the way he leans against a doorway and hands on hips and those kinds of things that I think looked pretty good. But he wasn't trying to do a Harrison Ford voice. And I think if he had, I don't think he would have he would have nailed it and it would have taken us all out of the movie. So he tried to just do a kind of a young Han Solo, not a young Harrison Ford. Yeah. Mm. It would have, it would have seemed more like a bad SNL skit if he'd have tried to do the impersonation. Right. Exactly. Especially since most impersonations are of old Harrison Ford, not young Harrison Ford. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody does American graffiti Harrison Ford. Nobody does. <laughs> right. You know, it's all Air Force One Harrison Ford or the Fugitive Harrison Ford. You know, it's like it's that. Get off era. my Falcon. Exactly. <laughs> we never answered my question. What was the point of this movie? Like, did it expand on his story? For what me. is revealed about him that For we me. didn't already know? For me, there was nothing meaningful. That was one of the things that torpedoed this film for me, is it it didn't really justify its existence that much to me. I didn't feel like I got any special insight into him. Uh, I thought a lot of the action... I don't want, I'm sorry, I don't want to get off topic. It's just a lot, a lot of the action pieces were a little bit pedestrian. A lot of this film just kind of left a bland taste in my mouth, I'm not going to lie. So Rogue One-esque? Like, we know everyone died, so... What what really was the point of that movie even? Like, Garen, what would you say if you were saying, like, this movie has a theme or the the ultimate, like, is it about a character growth in any way for Han Solo? Is it more about a character growth for Lando? Like, who who has the greatest journey personally in this film that we're saying, okay, we're following this person because this is happening to them? I mean, I, I think Han has a journey. I think as a Star Wars fan, you're looking at this hoping to get a couple of key moments that you've always wanted to see on film. And and everybody knows that they happen. There's a backstory, but you haven't got to see them happen. Everybody knows that Han Solo was in the Empire at some point. What was that like? Everybody knows that Han has to meet Chewie. And some of the backstory was that Chewie was was being held captive by the Empire and, and Han helps free him. You get to see that. You know Han meets Lando at some point. You know the, the Wind of the Millennium Falcon uh, in a card game. 
And having the opportunity to see all of those things for me was really fun. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about it too is that because see in the original trilogy, I mean, when you think about it, that's, that's Han Solo's evolution and journey, right? From basically from star Wars to empire, right? That's where you see him really change and become, you know, less selfish, make him become more of a, a heroic figure. So they almost can't do that in this movie, right? Like, would you say that from the beginning to the end, is he mostly the same, but maybe just has a different perspective on what he's going I, I think it's by the end of the movie, you get a Han that's a little more jaded than maybe he, he was optimistic early on, but oh, uh, not, a, not a large hero's journey, though. But yeah, so the, the question I have then is, because we've heard in the trailer, you know, don't trust anyone. So it sounds like he probably gets betrayed quite a bit. But I, what I want to know is, I saw Paul Bettany, just a flash of Paul Bettany in this film. Is he an evil Jedi? What is he? He's a crime lord. It was hard to stop myself from going, oh no, visions turned bad. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he's a, he's a crime lord who um, Han is looking to make a quick buck so he can buy his own ship. So he falls in with this crime lord. And he's one of those villainous types who has a personality like Poisoned Honey. He's just got so much niceness to him, and he has a weird kind of smile on his face even while he's gutting you. And he's like, oh, killing you is just so inconvenient. I need something to cheer me up. You know, he's that kind of personality. But he's the big bad of the film, essentially. Um, I would say when it comes to screen time, yes. But who's really in charge above him? That's a fun cameo they kept towards the very end, and everyone in my theater gasped. Like if, oh. you, if you, let's let me put it this way: if you've not been following Star Wars on television, the animated shows, you're one of those people who freaked out and went, "Oh my gosh, he's alive!" Well, we've already given the spoiler warning. You ready? So go ahead. All right, are you guys ready? Let's hear it. Paul Bettany's character was the name Drayden. He gets yes. betrayed by Amelia Clark's character. She goes to talk to his higher up. He's got robotic legs, and he removes his. Uh, hood off of his cloak and it is Darth Maul. What? He, wow. he is and in the, in the TV shows he's trying to head up crime syndicates so that he can resist his former master to screw up his empire. Right. And apparently he's starting up a whole new rodeo of crime syndicates to keep So he's a freedom fighter now of some no, sort. No, he's no, just, no, no, he's no. a troublemaker. Yeah. Uh, he's an he's starting a crime syndicate. That's not that's not, right. a, that's not a nice <laughs> it's not a nice thing to do. Um, but yeah, but he's upset with his former master. So he's, he's, like yeah. you said, he's making problems, but not mm -hmm. necessarily for altruistic reasons, yeah, just exactly. selfish reasons. Okay. And he, That's makes pretty it clear, good. he makes it clear to Amelia Clark's character. Um, you and I are going to go far together. So her arc isn't over. It's also great that they got Ray Park to come back and be Darth Maul physically ah. for the voice. They got Sam Witwer from the TV shows to voice nice. Maul again. I have to say, I knew before I even went into this movie, I was like, I, I hope this film will surprise me. Because I knew going in, Woody Harrelson is going to betray Han Solo. He's going to betray him. And Amelia Clark, she is either going to betray him, die, or both. And she ends up betraying him. I just, I knew that before going into the movie, and that hurt the movie in my view to know all that stuff was going to happen. And I just, 
other than finding out that her boss is Darth Maul, there wasn't anything really surprising about it. Well, and this this was my guess about Woody Harrelson. Because by the way, why is Woody Harrelson in everything now? When did he become one of our finest actors? Like the I Hunger like, Games, the, of the Apes, uh, yeah, Hunger Games. I mean, he, he just he pops up in every movie franchise. Well, okay, but Larry also... Flint. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I had to. Pick wasn't it Adventureland too? Zombieland. Zombieland. I really hope they get the sequel to that movie. It's in the works. The yeah. whole cast is coming back. I've been hearing that for a while. But, but like, I, I was thinking when I saw him in the trailer, he's he kind of inviting Han Solo, right? He's like, when you get into our line of work, you know, you're in it for life or whatever. So, but it was something, you know, I was thinking, is he like in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the guy who basically is the proto Indiana Jones that he bases his Passing life on? Passing on a fedora? Yeah, like is is Woody Harrelson like a, basically a Han Solo, and he learns how to be Han Solo from him, or not really? No, he's a little more on the Weasley side, too much of a weasel to be a proto Han Solo, I think. But he does get his trademark gun from him. Yes. Oh, okay. I, I yeah, that was in the trailer. I didn't see that in the. Tra- I don't recall seeing that. It, yeah, that was. It's one of those things. The extended that's easy to trailer. Miss, yeah. <laughs> oh, I never that, saw. That the was another trailer. first I that just... you had to get in there. You had to get the the blaster. You had to get the Kessel Run in there. And there's a uh, there's a scene where Han absolutely shoots first. So at least we take that. <laughs> I knew the fanboys were gonna love that when Glad I saw that. I, I I almost thought somebody else had shot him. Yeah. And I'm like, does oh. he wear the vest or only the jacket? Uh, just the jacket, I yeah, think. What do you yeah. think, Colton? I, I I recall just seeing the jacket. Oh, okay. For the sequel, the vest. <laughs> he technically does have a contract for I think what is it, two, three other films after this? Two so more. So theoretically, film. Disney could act on that, or they could choose not to at all. Right. It. I would say though that the plot beats were pretty predictable. I mean, you knew where it was going to start, you knew where it was going to end. But was there a surprise for you other than Darth Maul? Was there a cameo or what What really stood out for you that you say, okay, this is the unique part, at least. This is what made it worth my ticket money. I mean, there were there were Easter eggs and, and things. I mean, I, I paid the money to see all of the things that I knew was going to be in it. And it was fun. I think for me, the standout character was Chewie. I loved seeing Chewie, seeing the meat, and Chewie was just awesome. It was, it was, he was hilarious, and he was just a beast. He was just throwing people around, and it was, it was awesome. There, there's a part where when Han meets Chewie, Chewie's kind of choking him, and suddenly Han starts speaking in Wookiee to him, and so he's like pushing his his face down into the into the mud, and suddenly you know Han is like. The whole theater was cracking up. I don't know what was it like for you, Colton. Was that a was that well received in your theater? Chewie, yes, especially when uh, Chewie's growls were being interpreted to clearly show that he had said something humorous. That was great. Uh, as for what you said about surprise, I think the only other genuine surprise that I got out of this film that was intriguing to me that made it gave it a hint of uniqueness was uh, Tandy Newton, uh, the actress. She's done so many amazing projects over the years. And yet she essentially did in this film what you could describe as a Janet Lee role. Janet Lee in Psycho. She mm-hmm. was a big actress in her time, and yet, whoa, she gets killed off early on. And in this mm-hmm. film, she gets blown to Kingdom Come really unexpectedly. To have somebody of that caliber do that caught me off guard. And I thought, wow, that, that added something new and interesting to this. However, 
Woody Harrelson got over her death a little too easily, in my opinion. Like he, did, I don't even think he a- after punching Han Solo in the face over her death because it was partially Han's fault because of his trigger happy nature. He basically forgives Han on the spot without saying so, and just doesn't mention it ever again. That always that kind of bothered me a little bit. I thought that was a writer's oversight that that didn't at all come up or figure into anything else for the remainder of the film. But did it? You, you do say he betrays him in the end. What like, if he's waiting for that opportune moment in order to screw over But he didn't Han? say anything. He's like, oh, this is for her, you know? Well, but, sometimes you don't have to just be blatant. He made it clear his betrayal was for the money, for the payoff, for showing his belly to the guy more powerful than all of them. That's That was the real vibe I got from that betrayal, and it was like his wife never happened, or his girlfriend, whoever she was. Maybe they locked lips. That's really all I know about their relationship. <laughs> that was a fun scene, though. They were all invo- involved in this heist, and you kind of see it from the on the trailer. Uh, and it ends up being kind of a western train robbery. It was it was fun. So we mentioned it, but we really haven't figured out what part does he play. Lando is he like just the guy with the ship? Is that how they get to him, or like why does he join Han's team? How does that all come together? Yeah, they need his ship because his ship has the special specifications that are necessary to be able to. Gosh, it's it's a <laughs> it's a little labyrinthine, but not in a very enjoyable way. They need this really valuable substance because now Star Wars is suddenly obsessed with how fuel works in their cruisers now. Good. <laughs> Isn't that great? Uh, so they need this really special fuel. When it's refined, it's under lock and key in such a way that it's way too difficult and too unwieldy to steal. And is it a crystal or no? I think after it's refined, it's in crystal form. All right. Ties into the milkshake at Denny's. So they, <laughs> so they said, why don't we go ahead and steal it in its unrefined form? Well, then it'll blow up on you after X amount of time. Well, that's okay. We get, Let's get a fast enough ship so that we steal it in its raw form, take it to a place where it can get refined, and then we make our money off of it. So that's what the Kessel Run is. It's huh. them getting out of there in a hurry with this unrefined stuff before it blows up and getting it to a refinery under their control and getting it refined so they can turn a profit off. And does right. Han win the Millennium Falcon in this movie? Does he own it yet? At the very, very, very end. Because... Okay. Lando, I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed that to find out that Lando is a cheater in a card game. What is the name of that gadget? Because I I've seen it in other westerns when you've got a gadget on your wrist so you can sneak cards into the game so you can make yourself win. Mm. I saw that in the movie Maverick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, Lando is using that, and so the first game nobody notices. And Lando is able to screw over um, Han, but they come to a different agreement that allows him to at least participate in their journey with the Millennium Falcon. Right. But then at the end of the film, Han tries one more time to win it, and he notices the gadget on Lando's arm. And he gets Lando in a nice big hug, and in the middle of that hug, you don't realize till later, he reached into the gadget and stole the, the good card out of there. <laughs> <laughs> so when they get in the big epic game, Lando is getting ready to sling that card out, and the gadget's empty. And Han pulls the card out, and he wins the Falcon. Technically fair and square. By Lando's own standard. Right. Now, what about droids? Oh. What, what's the name? K3? L3? L3. This is something I'd always wanted to see in a Star Wars film for many, many years. I guess I should put this on the list of unique things I found in this film. I'd always wondered if there was going to be some type of social justice robot who's like, us robots deserve better rights than we have. A droid rebellion? Yeah. 
I, I really, I, that'd be something cool. And this L3 character looks like the seed of that. She is just obsessively like, I want equal rights with everybody else. What, I'm tired of being treated. Was she voiced by like Wanda Sykes or something? I, 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 I didn't look into that because I was kind of disappointed by how quickly L3 was just kind of swept under the rug. Literally when she dies, hmm. Lando takes her corpse and plugs her corpse into the Millennium Falcon's computer so that all of her knowledge of the galaxy can help their Navi computer navigate. It's like... Was like sucking the blood out of a deceased relative. I, I it, it seemed a little crass to me. I don't know. Well, it is a droid. I know, but the point they were making was this droid was a little extra sentient than others, and so, you know, mm. I just felt like it kind of folded that in on itself in, a, in an awkward downfall. way. <laughs> how, how did she compare, Garrett? Would you say to the droid from Rogue One in terms of personality and interest? Uh, probably, probably not as uh, funny as K two SO, uh, but no, she was interesting. Definitely, it, she's already been summed up by you guys. She, she's a little rebel. So, is there? This is like the other part I was trying to understand is, is there a real presence of the Empire in this movie, or is it just alluded to? Because, like, I know that. In the trailer, they show, like, you know, Imperial ships up in the sky at one point. But, like, do they really play any part? Because it's not, I mean, it, it just became the Empire, right? Like, it just kind of switched yeah. over in the timeline. Yeah, the, the the Empire has a very limited presence in this film, I'd say. They're there at the beginning that Han Solo has to sneak past the Imperial Guards to get off of Corellia. Han Solo sneaks into the Imperial Academy so that he can hopefully, he spends about three years there in a very, very short montage, getting some training, hoping to get some place where he can start to make money and uh, pay for a ship to go back and rescue his girlfriend he got separated from during the escape, um, Amelia Clark. Mm. Kira. Kira, there we go. Um, With a Q. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that till after the film. <laughs> In the credits, I'm like, oh, it was spelled with a Q. So I read something interesting today, and just oh. based off of you guys seeing it, is she potentially Ray's mother? <laughs> what? <laughs> I did not read that, but no, I don't think uh, so. Yeah, I, I, I think people will. She's white. A little she's too British. Much. One of the things they were saying was Kira. That name was a, the original name for Ray. That oh. that's in the true. early days of the script. Oh, Spelled with a K. That's good yeah. to know. Okay. I just thought it was a reference to Xanadu. Now I'm disappointed. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't think there's any real meaning there. If you're going to be a, a, a female lead in a Star Wars movie, you have to be a brunette, though. There's no blondes allowed. <laughs> uh, that's Kathleen Kennedy. That's what that's she's Ka- Yeah, that's Kathleen's uh, And then the that's third right. minor presence was when, in order to steal the, the, um, the fuel, they had to start a small rebellion, a small uprising of the workers there. That drew a little bit of Imperial attention, so as they're making their getaway, a Star Destroyer is coming down this tunnel, and a few TIE Fighters are coming out of it. But other than those three fairly brief instances, Hmm. the Imperial presence in this film I thought was very limited. You do get a taste of the beginnings of the Rebellion towards the end of the film. Absolutely. Yes. Little little group of freedom fighters that are trying to collect their own resources. Willow was one of the... Star Rebellion. (laughs) Warwick Davis was yes, there? Yes, he had a nice cameo as one of these warriors fighting back against uh, the crime syndicate I told you about that Darth Maul is heading up. 
Now, I, I read that he was playing the same character that he was in episode one. You see him oh, in the, in the yeah, stands right. during right. the pod race. That's the same uh, character? So, yeah, same character. I, I, know, I know it's the same actor, obviously, but I didn't know it was going to be the same character. I'm glad that he has grown up a bit since pointing and laughing at Anakin's troubles. Exactly. <laughs> the other thing I was trying to figure out as I was, you know, imagining in my head, do we find out anything about, because, you know, you mentioned Ray talking about her parents, and that was a big story between the last two films. Is there anything about Han Solo's family? Like, do we know where he's coming from just originally, how he grew up? Was he an orphan? Like, is there any kind of details there that give us an idea about his personality or is why he's Solo such a scoundrel? Even, is Solo even his real name? You, you, do, you do learn how he got Solo as a last name. In from this a red film. cup? I remember <laughs> a long time ago, I don't remember who it was exactly, somebody at Disney was like, in this film, you're going to find out how Han got his name. And the fanboys freaked out. They're like, oh my gosh, you mean his name wasn't always Han Solo? And they had to backpedal I on that. I do remember the backlash there on So that. I'm wondering, is this going to renew that backlash? I haven't seen it yet, but... Eh, I've been, I've there, been reading some things. There will some be some people that are yeah. really unhappy with the way he got his last name, I think. I thought it was okay. I, I just I can't bring myself to spoil some of these things for you guys. So I don't. Want to... <laughs> but uh, there well, is. A mention... You heard about Darth Maul. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is a mention of Han Solo's father, and he talks about spending time with him. But by the time you you come into the story, you get the true sense that he has been orphaned. So, I I was reading today that the Kasdans, uh, Larry and his son, wrote this. They co-wrote it. Correct. Um, Shortly after Disney bought the Star Wars Lucasfilms franchise, they were asked to put together a script. And a bunch of different directors were asked, writers were asked to put together spec scripts, whatnot, Mm -hmm. come in for a five-minute pitch. Apparently, how he gets his name is the thing that sold Disney on doing this movie. Huh. Why? I hadn't heard that. That's interesting. <laughs> I, I just read it today. That's uh, that's the reason you have Solo, <laughs> a Star I, Wars story. I, I will never understand the mentality of some of these corporate executives. I just uh. that's great. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll do it. Now write a script around that. Let's let's fill it in. Let's fill the gaps. Reminds me of that. Right. Uh, I don't mean to get off topic. This will be. Pretty, yeah. It just reminds me of that one thing on The Simpsons when they got the actual Ron Howard and the actual Brian Grazer to be on the show as themselves, and Ron Howard's like, "Hey, Brian, I want to pitch this movie about a time traveling robot and his talking pie sidekick. Literally, a, a pan of pie that talks." And then it leads to a heartbreaking climax where he has to choose if his best friend lives. Or dies. Howard, you've done it again. And he hands him two big bags of money. (laughs) (sighs) The final question I have about all of this is, does it feel satisfying now having the backstory filled in? Or does this feel kind of unnecessary? Because it almost feels like they answered every question about Han's history in this movie. So it's kind of like, all right, you, you told us a fun little story, and they said there's potential for sequels, but like they would have to just do an all-original story then because there's kind of no... Maybe meeting Jabba for the first time would be the next one, but did this feel like an unnecessary film, like just having a little spin-off 
Star Wars story? Do do you think like Rogue One, again, we knew the ending, but it was still satisfying for a lot of people. They thought it was a pretty epic story. How do you feel in the end about they, Solo they, even? They existing? made it clear that at the very end of the film, they are heading to Tatooine to go meet Jabba the Hutt for the first time because okay. they heard he's offering jobs. And Han's like, I, I think I have a good feeling about this. What could possibly go wrong, Chewie? When have I steered you wrong? <laughs> and then it goes to credits. Um, but to answer your question, I'm sorry, utterly superfluous. I, I didn't. I this film didn't really do anything extra or special for me. Okay, with the spoiler of Darth Maul, mm-hmm. did it do anything to expand the universe enough to be built upon in later later movies? I am yes, I am open to that. Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. So in that yeah. sense, it was necessary as as a stepping stone to hopefully something better, maybe. But on its own, I felt like it just... Right. Uh, it would be yeah. more of a part one, an introduction, reintroduction in a way. But the introduction of Darth Maul does lend credence to the Obi-Wan solo movie that mm-hmm. has been teased and spin off. And teased. I'm pretty sure we'll get the same kind of showdown that we got on Rebels between That'd be Darth cool Maul if they recreated that completely faithfully. Yeah. That'd be great. Because that was such a great scene. Like, seriously. And if you don't know what we're talking about, you can find it online, or you can wait until they put it in the movie. Because that just... Oh, such a powerful scene. And I like how it didn't end with anything over the top. It was like a whimper. It was kind of beautiful in its way. But, Karen, you on the other side... (laughs) <laughs> well, it, it was very much part one of a trilogy, it felt like. So, yeah, you hit all of the beats that you thought they were going to hit, but then they left it wide open for whatever could happen in, in movies two and three and beyond. So I, I felt like they were setting themselves up. It, it is very different than any other Star Wars film, I'll say that. And that was kind of fun, although kind of predictable, probably not the best Star Wars movie of all time. Um, I enjoyed it. So could this be the beginning of the Han Solo adventures movies where they just go smuggling this, that and everything, the adventures of Han Solo and just do whatever for however long of a time period is between this and Mm -hmm. a new hope. Yep. They can. Uh, there, there was a long going fan debate that was put to rest that I feel like we need to mention. Ooh, this sounds interesting here. Uh <laughs> there there had always been this debate when when Han says that he did the Kessel run in 12 parsecs the idea of a parsec was always known as a measure of distance and not time so when he says that to Obi-Wan and Luke Obi-Wan kind of gives him a look like like what well you you find out that 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 is correct that a parsec is a measurement of distance so he's able to complete the Kessel Run in a shorter distance because he takes, I guess you could say, a shortcut. Mm. Um, and so it's not that he completed it faster than anyone else. He completed it in a shorter distance than anyone else. Okay. <laughs> so you, you guys will get to see how he did that. But uh, anyway, fans have been fighting over that for years. And uh, so it's laid to rest. We can all sleep good now. It's official now, yeah. Part of the canon. The new canon. Can't hold on to your old canon. You can you can always have your head canon, though. There you go. <laughs> I was just telling somebody today that uh, my own head canon is that uh, Boba Fett 
you know, Boba Fett's like a mantle. He's not a character because I have a hard time believing that that little baby whiny kid from episode <laughs> two grew up to be the Boba Fett we all know. So somewhere along the line, that kid probably got killed and someone cool took over. The Clone Wars show did a good job of hardening him up, though. Showing yeah, the he, he was cooler in the in the Clone Wars. But, you know, if if so if, if he ended up dying, somebody else could pick up the helmet, put it on and uh but, Off but, he goes. but George Lucas did always say when it comes to transitions like that, he finds those transitions more interesting. If he already started off as a hardcore brat, it the journey wouldn't be that interesting, you know? Hmm. Yeah. So to have them be kind of this little pussycat kid, and then over time they become the villain that we know. For better or worse, he's at least trying to do something different, you know? Well, seeing your dad's head get chopped off, that's going to lead you down a dark path. <laughs> the honest trailer that called it anybody. the Django Unbrained. <laughs> yes. I just don't uh, want to have to see him as a little kid. Yeah. Well, we shouldn't. Like, there's been Baby enough fat. out there that we shouldn't have to see him. Um, there is talk because they they are working on a Boba Fett movie. They've assigned a director to it. James Mangold? James Mangold of Logan. Logan, Yeah. So it's going to be hard, um, but there was talk I saw today of potentially Taika Watiti to be Boba Fett. Uh, Maybe it was like dream casting, but <laughs> how would that work? I don't. Th- if they didn't like Lord and Miller, why would they involve Taika Watiti? Disney has learned nothing. Films. If that's true, they have learned yeah. nothing. <laughs> He'll be cast, um, and he'll be cut, and he'll be replaced. I, I have similar feelings about a Boba Fett movie as I heard when, as I felt when I heard this one being announced. There's only one way I can see a Boba Fett movie working, and that is that there is an equal co-star. There's just a, a new character introduced that has equal billing with Boba Fett, and the film is basically from their point of view, and Boba still remains a masked mystery. I can see I the film working that way. But the opening scene has to be him crawling out of the Sarlacc pit. Oh, you want it to be after Return of the Jedi? Like, I mean, that would be the best yeah, okay. point to go off of. Yeah, and then you sure. can do flashbacks from before okay. yeah. to kind of build him up as to why he is the the biggest, baddest bounty hunter out there, or okay. so in the fans' I, I thought, eyes. I thought everybody was leaning towards those formative years before Empire Strikes Back. Or, or, or the holiday special. <laughs> yeah, so do something that goes forward. You know, but something yeah. between... The original trilogy, you know, so the middle portion and then yeah, now the new trilogy. The Pit, yeah, that that actually is. Yeah, just have it yeah. pan up from following sand because it is a little the edge of the pit and it just is... that hand coming out and yeah. crawling up. And well, his grappling hook. He's got to shoot his grappling hook. It's a little hook depressing up. when you think about there's, it. There's how iconic he is and the way he died. Though. A tooth. Boba a tooth. Where? Those bouncy, rubbery sarlacc teeth. Oh, jeez. But so this is where I think we need to, this is how we're going to decide how Solo Star Wars movie gets rated. Jeremy, you and I are going to vote as to uh, how we were swayed. Are we now more interested to see it or are we less interested to see it? So I don't know. Are we going to say how many parsecs we give this film? (laughs) (laughs) One to 12 or one to 14? (laughs) Exactly. I know. We, We got corrected. I still say we go with 12. Well, that is the correct measurement now. Yeah. If you yeah. round down. Yeah, I like how the <laughs> film had a little fun with that. So what do you say, Jeremy? How did they do to sway you, to get you to theaters? Okay, but what is this scale? Is 12 like the low end? Is 1 no, the high 12 end? No, 12 is because the high end. 
the well, shorter the 12. distance, the better here. So <laughs> that's right. It's that's all about baby. the fan debate here. Uh, I'm I'm swayed. I'll find some time and see it. It's it's not on my rush out and see list right now, but once things calm down, I can find some time and go see it. At, at least to get all the connections, to have seen all of them be be up to speed, say this, that, here's the Easter eggs, the, the little cameos and everything, and be up to speed. Well, you know, I passed up the Blaster Fire Burger and the Co-Reactor Pancakes twice, <laughs> You know, and I because I just didn't even have the interest in the tie-ins to try the delicious food associated with the film. And yet after this conversation, the film sounds like a lot more fun. I was only hearing bad buzz prior to this and articles saying the the bad reaction to Solo is unjustified and things like that. But now that I'm hearing about it, like it feels like it could be just a fun little movie to see. Honestly, like they won me over by the fact that they put Darth Maul in there where I'm just like, okay, so they really are just putting some nice surprises. And even though it's spoiled, it'll still be a fist pump moment for me. I'm going to be like, oh yeah, Darth Maul. <laughs> so I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely in the eight to nine parsecs range on this, where I'm like much more excited than I was before. So I, I was reading through some various reviews today, uh, just kind of catching up to speed on what we could even talk about tonight. And one of them said they called Solo a Star Wars story the movie Rogue One was supposed to be. Hmm. What's that supposed to mean? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, they're, nobody could accuse them of being too similar. No. How they, how they justified their, <laughs> yeah. their headline there was essentially they talked about character development. And they said, you actually got to go character moment to character moment with the characters rather than our lead character in Rogue One was Jin, and she pretty much was just there. And everybody else giving all these gung-ho speeches were Imperial officers, rebel officers, other rebel officers, until she has to make a choice later in the movie that's kind of okay. Like, yeah. It, yeah. It's life or death the whole movie, but the, it just didn't sit with this reviewer as well. Well, and, and that film had a similar production history to this film. So I almost feel like Kathleen Kennedy needs to change it from a Star Wars story to whatever the next film, a Star Wars reshoot. Because they're all just going to be reshot films that are pieced together by a second director. That's just how they run at this point. So, hey, so be it. Some are more successful than others. You get Rod Howard instead of... Who was the replacement for Gareth Edwards on uh, Rogue One? That wasn't a, no, it was, that was good. It was Gareth. Oh, it was? Oh, okay. Yeah. But they, I heard they had to reshoot the third act, essentially. Yes. So it, it, there was a bit of an overhaul. They just didn't have to change the director. You're Got you're it. thinking of uh, Colin Trevorrow uh, being replaced by oh, JJ. That's right. That's right. Basically, this movie has kind of been hampered by the backlash from the Last Jedi. Also, from I the agree. gigantic box offices of having to follow up both Infinity War and Deadpool two 
So, I mean, really? You're, you're looking at three movies that are basically needing to feed off the same pool of people. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Uh, but a lot of people are out there saying this film bombed. I wouldn't call it a bomb. It made about the same amount of money the last Hobbit movie made on its opening weekend. Over $80 million. That's We've been spoiled, like, really badly. Oh, right. <laughs> By recent box office records, we've been spoiled, where we're like, if you make less than $100 million, you've automatically failed. I'm like, go to Sundance Film Festival and ask those independent filmmakers <laughs> if they'd be okay with only making $100 million off their film in the opening. Go weekend. ask the makers of Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I think the other thing we can say, too, though, is if they do go for, you know, this sequel, if they just, you know what, let's just go for it, despite however the response was. You know, Rogue One had nowhere to go. Like you guys said, this one obviously does. It seems to be as just like Han really blossomed in Empire. Maybe in his second film, we'll love this version all the more. So now that we've gotten all the introductions out of the way, now he just gets a straight ahead adventure new adventure with Jabba, I think people might be a little more open to that because then it's less like filling in the gaps and more like, okay, here's a new story and let's see where it goes. Yeah, so the they're, they're going to make plenty of money here. They're, they're at $103 million, uh as of today in four days. They're going to make enough money to, to make sequels for sure. But they're not going to lose Profit-wise, they're not going to lose anything on this film. This film, they're not going to lose anything. Yeah, it's it's not going to be a mega blockbuster like the Skywalker films, but it's going to do just fine. I don't know where to go from here. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. A lot of the filmmakers behind this film felt the same way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Garrett, thanks for coming back, man. Thanks, guys. Well, I feel like at this point, we're all just, you know, there's plenty of room in the cockpit. So let's all hop into Millennium Falcon, guys. We'll take off the stars. <laughs> Maybe we'll uh, land on Tatooine or, you know, that gambling planet from The Last Jedi. Uh, Maybe Canto Bite, don't remind so. me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a four out of ten for me. Garrett, do you want to give a final score? You could use parsecs if you prefer. Oh, I'd probably give it like, you know, maybe like a ten out of twelve. Okay. That's good. I, I have, if I have fun in a Star Wars film, it's good enough for me. Stay tuned, because we got regularly scheduled Sequel Quest episodes coming up. Plus, I'm sure we'll be back again with Sequel Chat. It's a summer of sequels. We got Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom coming out. And there may be, so, you know, you can't get enough Jeff Goldblum, even if it's just a cameo. So uh, get excited about that. But uh, also on uh, Sequel Quest, we got some interesting shows lined up here. We got some 80s cult films coming up. If anybody's a fan of Rad, going to be discussing Rad too with the guys from the Cult Film Club podcast. Additionally, in the works, we have some video game episodes. So if you've always wanted to see a sequel to the terrible video game films you got in the 90s, we're going to try our best to uh, polish off those franchises. Crossing my fingers for Super Mario Brothers 2 with John Leguizamo. Hang on to Maybe a reboot. I don't know. We'll see. In the meantime... It was the one-armed man. 3PO, where'd you get that red arm from? <laughs> hey, I like it. Some, has somebody done anything with that yet? Awesome. That'd be awesome. Best crossover ever. We hope you enjoyed all the fun of today's show and invite you to check out our regularly scheduled podcast, Sequel Quest, where we imagine the next installments of your favorite movie franchises. 
Find Sequel Quest on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at sequelquestpod.com. Now, 